0: we'd like to welcome you back to part three of our current event and weekly Bible study for July 21st, 2013. Continuing on the same Harley theme, now we're going to combine the Harley theme with the Catholic Church. Uh, This is entitled Hog Hell in the Unholy City. That's what I kind of dubbed it. Um, Pope blesses hundreds of bikers for Harley Davidson's 110th birthday. So now look who's giving... The official blessing to Satan's bike, the none other than the devil, demon-possessed pope that we had just talked about earlier. Uh, so with their tattoos, leather boots, and vests, they perhaps don't look much like church-going types. But hundreds of bikers were among the congregation blessed by Pope Francis at an open-air mass in St. Peter's Square yesterday. I got all kind of pictures of these guys with their with their uh, their leather jackets on, with all their patches and stuff, um, with the Pope there in the background. And so the Harley-Davidson fanatics stood out like a sore thumb among the crowd of thousands at a mass for the Evangelum Vitae Day in Vatican City. And here's these pictures, and this is entitled these pictures that I'm looking at, where you've got all these bikers raising their hands to the Pope. um, And it says, Pope Francis blesses the Harley-Davidson bikers from his Pope Mobile before the start of the Mass outside the St. Peter's Square Church in Rome. And in this picture, and I have entitled this one Satan's Blessing, Pope Francis blesses a sick boy who is accompanied by Harley Davidson biker after the Mass. As part of a three-day celebration for the 110th year anniversary of the U.S. company that produces the Harley-Davidson, riders parked their bikes along the Broad Avenue that leads up to the Vatican, and engines were said to be rumbling when the mass started. I don't even know how they could hear anything, those bikes are so obnoxiously loud. On Wednesday, representatives of Harley-Davidson, which is listed on the New York Stock Exchange, met the Pope and gave him two Harley-Davidson Inc. motorcycles and a leather jacket. Uh, one of the guys said I wonder if he got the full like white leather Pope you know riding leathers you know the chaps the whole nine yards so he could really go out in satanic style you know because I think that would be more a little more appropriate anyway so we there's a whole bunch of pictures here that you can look at if you like that and again it's just further confirmation of what we've been talking about now next report. Is entitled Tom Horn, Deceiving Christians to Think Like the Occult. Okay. Here's his newest deal that he's doing. I've reported on Tom Horn many times in the past, and I list the teachings I've done on him in this report. This is just further confirmation of more garbage that, that he's getting into. Um, Tom Horn, the video lures his readers in in through money, through a contest as to think as the occultists do. Anagrams and ciphers, which is how which is what this contest is about, and we'll get into that in a second. But anagrams and ciphers go all the way back to the Kabbalah, the Rosicrucians, and the Freemasons. Second uh, Timothy three verses one and thirteen says This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, then we go to verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, meaning they themselves are going to be deceived, and they in turn are going to deceive others, and they're going to wax, that word wax means to grow, and they're going to grow worse and worse, and this is what we're deceiving, we got like we just talked about Tom uh, or uh, Kenneth Copeland and all of these televangelist guys and all of these ministries that are waxing. They're growing worse and worse. And they're deceiving and they're being deceived. And what the, the biggest theme I see is just them getting your eyes off the Word of God, them getting your eyes on all of this extra biblical garbage that has nothing to do with with our salvation, all of this stuff that we can devote tons and tons of time to and get fixated on that really will produce no good fruit or, uh, worst case scenario, lead you away from the truth. So this is the Zenith 2016 Grand National Cipher Challenge from Tom Horn, And he's got the big, gigantic, all-knowing eye of Lucifer in the triangle. It's so obnoxious, you go up to the guy's site, and it's so big it's off my screen. It's like you have to scroll over to see the whole thing. I've never seen a more—it's like a circus sideshow up there, as far as all the different ways they're trying to make money and stuff. And and um, you got the all-knowing eye, Lucifer, we're staring right at you as, as you go onto the site now. I mean, it's unbelievable. So um, this is some some uh, things here that the the man that put this all together, this information that I've copied and pasted into this report. You can see this, but he goes on to say, um, and this is from an actual, uh, this is from Anagrams, I guess the book, by Henry Benjamin Wheatley from 1862, page 72, and it says, we can trace anagrams, which is what this whole cipher challenge that Tom Horn is putting out. We can trace anagrams back to the Jews, and indeed, Camdo is deposed, is disposed to refer their origin to the time of Moses and conceives that this divine lawgiver communicated the art to the chosen 70. Many times occultists will try to attribute things like wicked, evil things to men in the Bible that did something, yet they never did it. They're just assuming this so that it gives more credibility to whatever they're saying. Okay, so I'm translating this for you. Um, Anyway, it says, but to pass this theory by, it appears to be certain that the Kabbalists... Okay, the Kabbalists. What are the Kabbalists? Highest form of Jewish witchcraft that exists. Okay, Very, very bad stuff. So it says, But to pass this theory by, it appears to be certain that the Kabbalists were professed anagramists. The third part of their art form, these Kabbalists, which they call the Themeru, uh, which means changing or being uh, no more than the practice of making anagrams or the finding of hidden and mystical meanings in names. This is like what the Bible talks about. To be not consumed with en- endless genealogies and and uh, professions of science falsely and all of these things that we could get fixated on. This is why I rarely, er- rarely ever recommend books um, unless they're about a specific title like this Heart of Yoga one that I just recommended where it's going to keep your eyes fixed on a certain subject you're, you're trying to expose but then you get in all this garbage and I mean you could just devote your whole life to this kind of stuff. Um, then it goes on to say Uh, in this quote I'm reading from Rosicrucian Fundamentals, a synthesis of religion, science, and philosophy. It says, Anagrams. The student who is expert in the solution or construction of anagrams will find a mine of research in the Latin text written in the tomb, which, if properly divined, will reveal a wealth of information concerning the actual intent of the Rosicrucians at the time of the legend of the tomb or given out whatever the legend of the tomb is. But here we have the Rosicrucians Heavily emphasizing the use of these anagrams. And then you also have the Kabbalists. So this is not like a green light of something we need as Christians to be messing around with. These are things we would want to stay away from and expose, which is what I'm doing today. I'm exposing this. I'm not trying to drive my listeners into this nonsensical witchcraft garbage. I'm going to expose it. So... Proverbs twelve twenty six says the righteous is more excellent than his neighbor, but the way of the wicked seduceth them. This is what Horn and a lot of these so called Christian pastors or whatever are out there doing. They're um, they're seducing the righteous. They're trying to seduce the righteous, but the way of the wicked seduceth them, meaning they seduces the righteous. So um, we're going to watch this. Uh, short two plus minute video advertisement by Tom Horn. So I'm going to go ahead and click on this link here. Okay, so now we're going to watch. We're going to listen to this garbage video. You can go up and watch it as well. And it's just this big fervor and and all of this this uh, trying to create all this excitement around this this garbage is always about these big secrets that you have to. Know. It really reminds me a lot of what Gnosticism is based on. How Tom Horn has become where they've so heavily emphasized um, having to know like these ancient Catholic manuscripts or the ancient writings of Sir Isaac Newton, who was also a high-level occultist. Now we have to know, we have to research these anagrams and these ciphers in order to to figure out this thing, in order to win this $10,000 prize that he's giving away. And everything's hidden and secret and cloaked and veiled. And this is how Gnostics operate. Gnosticism is basically a religion that's pursuing hidden knowledge. That's what the word Gnosis or Gnostic means, okay? So that's um, what the word occult means too. Essentially hidden or hidden knowledge. This is why if you get into the occult, what Satan does is he says, okay, here's entry-level occult stuff. Let's say you are want to be a white witch, okay? So you get into it and you find, okay, wow, Satan gives you a carrot here and a carrot there and you take that, but you want more. You want to go deeper. You want more power or you want more money or you want more whatever. And then you find out that in order to go deeper, you have to go darker. Okay, then you get into gray witchcraft and then you end up getting into black because that's where ultimately the trail will lead you. And this is how Satan does these things. He gets people consumed with these Gnostic type religious things that we get fixated and obsessed with totally get your eyes off jesus christ totally get your eyes off the word of god you end up devoting all this time to that and that's exactly why satan does this stuff so i'm going to go ahead and roll this video now
1: people nationwide are scrambling to be the first one to solve the new Zenith 2016 Grand National Cypher Challenge.
0: Okay, so thousands of people, tens of thousands of people worldwide, and they show this guy suiting up with all this Indiana Jones-like gear on. He's going to go, you know, solve this Cypher Challenge and win the $10,000 from Tom Horn's whatever, I don't know if you could call it a ministry, whatever it is.
1: Welcome, adventurer. You Invited to undertake a search to solve the most spectacular riddle in history. Mystery surrounding the new book, Zenith 2016, is spreading excitement everywhere.
0: Okay, so this is the uh, Zenith 2016. Tom Horn's newest foray into whatever book he's going to release. It's it's always something, you know. It's always some book you've got to get in order to have this information that you know only his listeners know about. Always this, this, this creation of all of this false excitement and this, you know, it never ends. So here it is, Zenith 2016. The guy has the audacity to put a pyramid with the all knowing eye of Lucifer right in the center of the book. Why on God's green earth would you release something as a Christian with one of the highest symbols of the Illuminati on the back of your book? Talk about Satan's hoofprint. All over what you're doing. And it's almost like Satan's just doing this saying, oh, you Christians, you're so, you're such morons, essentially, if you would buy this stuff. That's what Satan would say. I'm not saying that any of my listeners that have gotten it, but I guarantee you that's how Satan would look at it. I mean, because, I mean, it's got all the, the hoofprints of Satan all over it. And it says, did something begin in the year 2012 that will reach its apex in 2016? And then it says the... A revised and expanded edition of Apollyon Rising 2012. So, I guess this is the revised, expanded edition. You've got to get it now, you know. Um, from the best selling author, author of Petrus Romanus and Exo Vaticana, Thomas Horn, with his name, I mean, in just gigantic bold letters at the bottom, you know. The Bible talks about not seeking vainglory, you know, and uh, all of these other verses that, that we've quoted. To be humble, meek, to be a servant that we just talked about. That which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You know, these types of things. And all of this is contrary to that. But I'll go ahead and let this roll more.
1: One lucky winner, able to crack the code, will take it. One
0: lucky Lucifer winner. We know that words you know, is not based in anything good luck. is basically lucky Lucifer, but anyway.
1: $10,000 in U.S. currency. What some were calling the end of the Mayan calendar was actually only the beginning. This is a quest for the true secret and the mystery it will lead to.
0: Oh, so evidently the Mayan calendar and that secret that everybody was pursuing. Now we're going to get the real one. We're going to get the real one. The only way we're going to get it is we get his book. It is a cipher hidden in plain sight. A cipher. I mean, again, anagrams, ciphers, all of these things high-level occultists are obsessed with. That show National Treasure with Nicolas Cage, it was all based on, and that whole movie was based on the glorification of the Freemasons of, of, particularly in this case, America. It was totally about the glorification of the Freemasonic death cult, okay? And it was all based on ciphers and these things like anagrams and stuff. But, you know, there's no red flags there. You know, there, there's nothing, you know, we, we need as Christians need to just delve into this and participate and do all of this stuff, evidently according to Thomas Horn, By America's founding fathers. America's founding fathers, who, like George Washington, high-level Freemason, okay, and a lot of the other ones were high-level Freemasons as well. I've done a whole study on that. Just key in Washington or George in the keyword search box, and I get into all that. Guy had a full Freemasonic funeral. For him at the end of his life. And I get into all the other stuff. That that went on there. So, The Freemasons.
1: The Rosy Cross. Who left us clues. As to its fabulous meaning.
0: Okay so. I mean how in your face can you get. The Freemasons. The Rosy Cross. Which is like the Rosicrucians. These are wicked. Evil. Devil institutions. Okay. Totally based on Satanism. And. 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 It's like they're glorifying them. I mean, doesn't this sound like Tom Horn is glorifying? I mean, if you if you heard this, you wouldn't think the Freemasons were bad or the Rosicrucians were bad, or anybody participating in anagrams and ciphers. No, no, that's not something we need to stay away from. It's something we need to embrace. I mean, this is absolute total insanity.
1: The all-seeing eye. The unfinished pyramid on the great seal of the United States. The arcane mottos and the cryptic message ciphered within them will lead you on your journey.
0: See, we got to have all this occult, Gnostic, hidden knowledge in order to find the truth. Does that sound like something God would do? God gave us His truth in the Word of God. That's all we need. We don't need this other garbage in order to... Whatever. Prosperous Christians in the end time. All this hidden stuff that you have to buy books for and materials for and spend money for, which is the main reason all of this is happening. There's all this glorification of this. There's a show on now that ABC put out called Zero Hour that's about this as well. The glorification of the Rosicrucians who supposedly found the true cross of Jesus Christ and they were the guardians of this thing and they went through this elaborate thing to hide it after Nazi Germany and oh oh they're the guardians of this righteous thing and they're willing to die for it. And I mean it's all it's all of this stuff is pointing us to all of these occult evil organizations and they themselves are going to play a part in the end time delusion and deception. When the Antichrist and the false prophets make their big debut, and they're going to be part of that deception, they're going to say, listen, we've had all this hidden knowledge that the general public can handle for all these hundreds of years, but now you can handle it, and now we're going to reveal it to you. And now you're going to have this hidden knowledge, and now you're going to finally be enlightened, and now you're going to be able to go from the age of Pisces into the age, the dawning of the age of Aquarius. You're going to be able to go from the old world order into the new world order. That's what this is all about. It's what it's all building toward, which totally confirms so many of the other teachings I've done in times past. And it shows this guy finding this treasure, and he's just awestruck when he looks in the little treasure box. It's probably like a little head of Satan, in there talking to him. I don't know.
1: The Zenith 2016 Grand National Cipher Challenge officially begins this summer, 2013. There will be 10 winners, including one grand prize winner to be awarded $10,000 in cold, hard cash. And they're,
0: they're they're throwing down all these $20 bills in the background, all this nice American fiat currency that's backed by nothing.
1: The nine lucky runner-up winners. The lucky winners. Shopping sprees worth thousands of dollars. Why
0: aren't they at least sent, the nine lucky winners should be all sent a lifetime supply of lucky charms. The new one, too, that just came out that I I documented, I think, the last teaching, that has the literal little rainbow uh, lucky charm marshmallow that represents the gay flag. I'm not lying. They really got it in there now. So you got your lucky Lucifer, lucky charm Shamrock with your gay rainbow in there now, and you've got I mean you got witchcraft, you got everything. What's not the like?
1: ViberMall.com To learn the riddle of Zenith 2016 and what it means for the future, you must find and decode a single hidden anagram inside the new book by best selling author Thomas Horn. So
0: you've gotta spend all this stinking time. Trying to find this anagram hidden in this gigantic book he just put up. I'm sure God would want you to burn all your time wasting it on this garbage. The Tom Horn. All these hoops that good old Tom Horn's setting up for you. Just like any other cult that, that operates out of this Gnostic hidden occult knowledge. He's forming his own little cult almost with this movement. And in the background here, you're seeing this this all-knowing eye of Lucifer in the pyramid. And this is, this is what you're seeing on the video. You can watch it for yourself. I'll give you the link.
1: Which cryptically asks, Did something begin in the year 2012 that will reach its zenith in 2016? The first contestant to solve the riddle and to call the number provided will be the grand prize winner. For contest details and to learn how you can participate in the Zenith 2016 Cypher Challenge, visit us online at www.zenith2016.com.
0: <laughs> so that, that that's the good old video there of uh, Tom Horn's newest ploy to, to make money and uh, to get you bound up and pursuing all of this Gnostic occult hidden knowledge. It, it never ends with this guy. It really doesn't. Now, the person that uh, the ministry that put this out is Ephesians Five Eleven blog. They're the ones that um, put this information out about Tom Horn, uh, and it says they looked into the latest scheme being foisted upon the gullible apostate Christians by infamy. I'm not going to say all the Christians that are that are following him are apostate. It's just that I, I really do believe they're deceived, though. You know, I mean, come on you you've got to you've got to see this for what it is. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Voiced upon it by these uh, gullible Christians, by the infamous Christian merchandiser Tom Horn, and uh, again, I think. He, and then he quotes Second Peter two one and three, where I believe it talks about making merchandise of men. So we discover Tom Horn is hosting a contest, Zena two thousand and sixteen Grand Cipher Challenge, where a hidden anagram is is placed in his latest book, and he challenges his readers to find out find it out for a tempting grand prize of ten thousand dollars in cold hard cash. And that's a quote. And tempting, and also tempting shopping sprees worth thousands of dollars. Um, so he's pressing all the sinful flesh buttons, which he's doing. True. First Timothy six nine through eleven says, "But they that will that will be rich fall into temptation and in a snare." We could also apply this to Kenneth Copeland, which, which we just talked about. And into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee from these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. So then we go back to the report and it says, then we decided to find out what anagrams we're all about. And to our amazement, anagrams go all the way back to the occult Kabbalah. Not only that, but anagrams are a big part of Rosicrucianism and the Freemasons, which again, I just, you know, uh, talked about that a second ago. Tom Horn flashes the occult symbols right in front of us in this video clip over and over, but never mentions that anagrams are a big part of the occult. Notice the Freemasonry symbol on the left, and this is straight from the video, and it's it's the it's the Freemason skull, uh, or not skull, but square and compass. Okay, yeah, that's in the video, and um, then the Rosicrucian cross. He's also got that in the video, and the Kabbalah star, which is the hexagram, is the six pointed star of Solomon, or the um, star of um, of um, Rempham, as the Bible talks about in Acts. It's a hexagram, it's a six point star, you, and it has nothing to do with um, a symbol for the Jews, okay? This is a wicked evil symbol called a hexagram, hex means curse, it's six six points, okay? It's bad. I've done a whole teaching on it, just key in hexagram in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com because it has it is the, one of the highest symbols in witchcraft. Then you got the Rosicrucian cross, which is also wicked. He's got all these things in this video. OK, then it goes and then this goes on to say, never mind the whole two minute, 39 second video advertisement. That's what we just heard. Uh, does anyone tell the viewers that the anagrams and ciphers are part of the cult? It doesn't tell you that it, 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 it wants to get you into doing that. What he's trying to do through Satan is trying to get his listeners to pursue and do occultic things all the while although he's basically telling you this is out of the occult almost because of all the symbols but all the while you know you're doing this and you're thinking oh there's nothing wrong with this it's it's, it's insane so however they flash the symbols right in front of the viewers while telling them to practice what occultists do with the anagrams i mean he's getting worse This is satanic at its very core. When you watch the two plus minute video, it appears that nothing is wrong with the Freemasons or the Rosicrucians. That seems to be okay. I mean, it is true. I just said, I just pointed that out. You watch that video, you would think there's nothing wrong with the Freemasons or the Rosicrucians. That they have some kind of hidden occult knowledge that we need to have. And um, he did the same thing when he promoted Sir Isaac Newton and and David Flynn. And I did a whole teaching exposing that. All of David Flynn's research was based on Sir Isaac Newton, okay, who was a high-level occultist. How can you derive something good from something wicked? How does that work? Anyway, if you want to key that, just key in um, either Tom or Horn or Newton or whatever in the keyword search box. I did a big study on that, and um, anyway. Let's go further. Romans 12 2 says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we're not supposed to be conformed to this world. Everything he's wanting you to do right now in this video, in this cypher channel, is to conform yourself to the world. Pursue all this occult garbage. Waste your time finding this anagram. Maybe you'll win ten grand. Uh, Colossians 3, 1 and 2, if you be if then ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. That's what he's trying to get you to do here. Get all obsessed with this garbage. Some documents we found on anagrams related to the Kabbalah, Rosicrucians, and the Freemasons. This is research that they did. Okay, This first thing is um, uh, by a guy named Abba... Hilal Silver, who is a rabbi of the temple in Cleveland, Ohio, and his writing um, in the Encyclopedia of Religion in 1945. And I give you a picture of the cover here. So you can see this is authentic. And then a blow-up of what is said here. And this is from this rabbi. um, And he says, the Kabbalah employed a characteristic exegesical technique. Now the Kabbalah, the highest form of, of, of essentially... Jewish witchcraft we're dealing with here. It's what Madonna got involved with and, and it's, it's incredibly nasty stuff. Okay, High level witchcraft. The Kabbalah employed a characteristic exegesical technique which gave it great freedom and scope. It regarded not only every word of the Bible written in Hebrew, the very language of God, but every letter, every vowel and their possible permutations and combinations as holding profound Mysteries. What does this sound like? This sounds like all this Bible code stuff that so many have been obsessed with. You know? Oh, you do this, and you do that, and you do this, and the Bible speaks to you, and this and that. Okay? But I don't see any Bible for doing that. Okay? And I've never known anybody that got into that stuff that ever didn't get off in left field. Like, I mean, really got into it. I've never seen good fruit produced from it. I'm sorry, I haven't. So, um... You start thinking, wow, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty amazing. I'm I'm learning all the stuff that nobody else knows, and God's speaking to me through all these whatever hidden ways of deciphering things from the Bible. Okay, fajah, uh, be careful getting into that stuff. So then this goes now. This is from this is from a uh, this Jewish rabbi who who is who who uh, is a kabbalist. Okay, he says, thus the Bible was interpreted not only literally, allegorically homiletically, and anagorically, but also through the devices of gemantria, which is the interpretation of a word according to the numerical value of its letters. I mean, where does it end? Okay, with this kind of stuff. Then he goes on to say Katarakon, which is taking each letter of a word as the, init- as the initial of some other word, and then temerua, which is substituting one letter for another, or and Tisruv, or Chiev, which is transposing the letters in an anagram, which is what we were just talking about here, that Tom, Tom uh, Horn is talking about. Thus the Kabbalah never felt the constraint of the letter which killeth, and never came into the conflict with the written scriptures, as Christian mystics frequently did. So, um, they, I mean, if you're in the, the uh, Kabbalah, or in the Freemasons, or in the Rosicrucians, a lot of what they do is absolutely integrally related to these anagrams and to these ciphers okay so is that a green light from god that we need to pursue it as christians i don't think so here is the from the jewish encyclopedia from 1906 and it's talking about the anagram um the letters of a word so transposed as to make different as to make a different word or phrase, this is what anagram is. The use of anagrams by the Jews dates back to the mo- remotest of antiquities, um, and then we go on. It says in the Talmudic and mid midrashic literature, Talmudic Talmud. Okay, the Talmud, which you've got the Babylonian Talmud, and then there's another Talmud. I mean, it is the most blasphemous book I've ever seen regarding Jesus Christ, particularly the Babylonian Talmud. Now, you want to know more about the Talmud? Can Talmud, T-A-L-M-U-D, in the keyword search box at com, and I have done a whole study on that. I mean, it is beyond, the stuff they say about Jesus Christ, particularly in the Babylonian Talmud, is so vile and so evil, I can't even repeat it on air. Okay, that's what the Jews that participate in the Talmud, and then you get into the Midrash, and then if you take it a step further, you get into the Kabbalah. That's what they believe. Okay? It is talk about adding to the Word of God. And it's a gigantic volume of books. Okay. So in this is the Jewish Encyclopedia. In the Talmudic and Midrashic literature, anagrams became a system of biblical interpretation. Okay, so is that a green light, that this is good? I don't think so. Considering people that would participate, particularly in the Talmud and the Kabbalah, are people that are absolutely anti-Christ. And I mean that in every sense of the word. So why would God show them the truth about this? When they hate Jesus Christ with a passion. Okay, so, now I'm not condemning the whole Jewish race. I'm just talking about these rabbis that participate in this stuff. So, and again, you want to know more do that keyword search on ContendingForTruth.com. So then it goes on to say, uh, the golden age for the anagrams began with the Kabbalah. This is what the Jewish encyclopedia is openly stating here. Okay, The golden age for anagrams, which is what Tom Horn's telling you to scour his book for and find so you win the $10,000 prize or one of the other nine cash prizes. The golden age for the anagrams began with the Kabbalah. Wow. That's not exactly a glowing recommendation here. Um, The Platonists, meaning the people that followed Plato, that ungodly devil, had strange notions as to the influence of the anagramic virtues, particularly if anagrams evolved from the names of persons. This is this endless garbage that you can just get caught up in and just blow your whole life on if you let it. Okay? and a lot of people do. They get into a false religion and they just become consumed with this garbage. Um, So, it is not surprising, therefore, that the Kabbalists, like all Neoplatonists, pretended to discover occult qualities in proper names and in their anagrams. Um, I'm just seeing what else it says here. Nearly all Kabbalistic writings give rules for composing anagrams, which are called the Tamura. So... I mean, hopefully we're proving a case here. These are all um, you can view all of these documents that are, that have been copied and pasted into this PDF. Um, so you can see this for yourself. Here is a quote from um, uh, it looks like the Rosicrucian. Oh no, I already already read this, where it says we can trace anagrams back to the Jews, and indeed. Um, then the Kabbalists were, the, were professed anagramists, the third part of their art. So, again, that's a quote I've already read. Now, all of this is reference. Everything I'm doing, I'm not reading all the references, but every single thing I'm talking about here is a literal page from this book. Not just a... It's, a, it's the literal page. It's a picture of it, okay? Um, so you can click on those to see this. Now, here's the next one. And... Um, This is from the Rosicrucian, let me see here, the Rosicrucian Fundamentals, this is the book, A Synthesis of Religion, Science and Philosophy, page 372, and uh, I already read this one too. This is the anagrams, the student who is expert in the solution or construction of anagrams, and uh, this is how the, the, the Rosicrucians use it. Now, I give you here a whole bunch of my links. The first one is entitled, The Catholic Doctrine. The Catholic Doctrine Promoting Apocrypha Exposed. Raiders News Network, Tom Horn Warning. Because he was, he's was he been, one of the previous things he's been doing is trying to get everybody to buy his book on all of these extra-biblical writings and the Apocrypha, which is nothing more than, than a Catholic... Um, heretical doctrine and he's selling this on his site I mean, this guy couldn't be doing anymore to get your eyes off the word of God I mean, if if you did everything that he's telling you to do, you're going to have no time to be in the word of God at all so, there's a three part teaching I did there, and then I did another one titled Tom Horn, Raiders News Network Gary Stearman, David Flynn, and Sir Isaac Newton warnings, now that's the one I said about before there's a three part teaching there. I give you all the links here. They're going to be on about page 18, 19 of the PDF for July 21st, 2013, at contendingfortruth.com. I also give you links to the PDFs. And everything here is. Then here's one I did End Time Current Event 21212, Part 2. And this part was entitled Tom Horn is at it again, getting more flagrant of his promotion of the Catholic Church by the day. And then. The, another end-time current event teaching, two seventeen thirteen, which I document, Tom Horn, Chris Putnam, and Raiders New ne- News Network are added again, promoting the Catholic death cult and its, quote, prophets as an end-time source of truth. I mean, it, it never ends with this guy. Conclusion. Whether, now, this is from the article that I'm using here. Whether Tom Horn realizes it or not, he is causing... The disobedience to God's word by luring simple-minded Christians into an occultic type of thinking process using money as the bait. Tom Horn is the epitome of 2 Peter two verses one through three, which read: "But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall, meaning privately, by deceit, they shall bring in damnable heresies." even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of the truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness, they with feigned words shall make merchandise of you, which is exactly what he's doing, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. Excellent. I would say he hit it the nail on the head there. The very first thing Jesus told his disciples about the very days we live in is Matthew 24, 3 and 4. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us what then shall be these things, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. It's the first thing he prefaced Matthew twenty four, and a description of the of the literally the end times and partly the tribulation that we're moving into. And he says, "Take heed that no man deceive you." That is going to be the absolute ear. That's why I tell everybody, listen, don't follow me, follow the Word of God. I'm just trying to point out the obvious here as as a watchman. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, closer to Father God, closer to the Word of God. Okay, that's what my motivation and my goal is to see people get saved, and and these types of things. So um, we have all of this. Now the next part: Summer Solstice Festival, Summer Solstice Festival along Lake Okeechobee in Pahokee. This is from a local uh, news organization. Despite fears from a few local church leaders, so far there have been no reported problems on Saturday at a major pagan summer solstice fest- festival, festival being held this weekend along Lake Okeechobee in Pahokee. Pastors in the Pahokee area had initially come out against the first ever solstice festival. This is what they're doing at the Bohemian Grove and these types of things. They go in the summer solstice, one of their main high-level occult holidays, or or, uh, holy days that they celebrate. Very, very powerful. Um, And this was held at the Lake Okeechobee Resort. Organizers say, while pagans may hold different religions' beliefs, they plan to keep to themselves and enjoy the natural beauty. Peter Dybring from Lady Liberty League said, so we use these festivals as a time to come together as a community and we have experiences around bonfires. Bonfires, the original term for that was bonefires, which, where they would literally take somebody and hollow out a log and put them in the log. And if you want to know more about this key in Halloween, in the keyword search box at com, because I get into all of the origins of Halloween and the original use of bonfires, which are fires, and they would hollow out a log and put a human uh, sacrifice victim in there where they couldn't... Um, Move, they get them in there somehow and they would burn the log. Um, bonfires. This is why they call bonfire. Or the Yule log. Okay? This is where we get all of the, these terms from. So um, they're human sacrifices. So anyway, we, we have experiences around bonfires, workshops, from breaking down. Baking bread to ethics. Oh, I want to know about pagan ethics. But what an oxymoron that is. Pagan ethics. I mean, I think what the pagan ethics would be is, do what thou will, shall be the whole of the law, as Aleister Crowley so succinctly put it. Anyway... Also, raising a family. Oh, I want to know how pagans raise their family, because I'm sure that we're going to get really good advice there, really morally upright advice. And then, how to build a magic wand. Well, okay, I can tell you, I know the preferred source of a magic wand, the best wood to use, is of the holly tree. And this is why they call Hollywood that name, because Hollywood is the preferred wood source to make a literal magic witch's wand. And Hollywood has cast a spell over all the world through um, its media empire, and they're telling you, and they're putting it right in your face, putting it in gigantic letters on the side of that hill there, and, and you know just daring you to do anything about it, essentially. Okay, So anyway, how to build a magic wand, so those kind of things let us come together and bond as a basically pagan community. The five-day festival features 12 bands, workshops, vendors, fire spinners, and a fire and drum circle. And it ended on June 23rd at noon. Now, the next article I found was Lake Okeechobee Solstice Festival kicks off tomorrow. Pagans and Christians, now best friends forever. (laughs) That's That's the title of the article. Pagans and Christians, now BFFs. Best friends forever. And it looks like it's all going to be peace, love, and magic. And they spell magic, M-A-G-I-C-K. When you see the K at the end, you know it's a witch type magic. I'm not talking about a magic at a magic act, which is also, you've got to be really careful of that as well. But that's how occultists will view magic. They'll spell it that way with a K at the end. Anyway, so it looks like it's all going to be peace, love, and magic at the Lake Okeechobee Resort in Marina in Pahokee this week. Local residents alarmed at the prospect of hosting a five-day Basically, fire festival of self-described pagans appears to have vanished like a rainbow in the sun. So all of these people, these pastors and these churchgoers that were initially having all these apprehensions about this and were voicing their opinion, all of a sudden now they're, they're, um, they're basically just, I guess, shut their mouth, most of them. According to a June 1st press release from the Lady Liberty League, a kind of ACLU for pagans and Wiccans, Meetings between pagan activists and Lake O area Christian pastors cleared the air. The Christians being informed that visitors to the first annual Lake Okeechobee Summer Solstice Festival practice nature religion, not Satan worship. Oh, okay. Wow. And that, that, like, that would mean anything as a Christian to hear this? Like, there's any dialogue that you could possibly use to justify? A Christian giving approval for this? Evidently, it just took a meeting to smooth things out between the pastors and the pagans. Now they're best friends forever. Um, The local chamber of commerce came down on the side of the festival and that probably hasn't hurt either because pagan money is as green as any other My comment, I am sure the witchcraft the pagans conjured to put these pastors and their congregations into an even deeper lukewarm sleep than they already are didn't hurt either. Now think about this. It comes out, these pastors and these churchgoers come out and they were really vocal about this. And they were being mocked in the press and all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden they have this meeting and um, they're all on the same page. And the pastors evidently are giving their consent for this to happen because they've been convinced that that they're not going to uh, worship Satan there and the pagans are okay and they're just worshiping nature hmm knowing that the Bible what the Bible says about how witches and I mean in the Bible if you were a witch it was you were dead I mean thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. that was the Old Testament thing I mean just like you you would kill a homosexual, you would kill uh, whatever child molester, somebody engaging in bestiality, whatever. It was a death sentence, okay? Witches were were destroyed, okay? Why? Because they defiled the land with their witchcraft. They brought nothing but evil, okay? And I, and I, again, let me read this again. I am sure the witchcraft the pagans conjured to put these pastors and their congregations into an even deeper, lukewarm sleep than they already are, it didn't hurt. Because at least initially, it sounded like they had some backbone. Then all of a sudden they capitulated. Guaranteed, when these pagans found out that they were going to get all of this this um, pushback, they went and they 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 went to their gods and they worked a whole bunch of witchcraft, and they got their way. If the Christians had discernment, they would have went back to their churches and got on their knees and prayed and fasted that this wouldn't happen. But I'd like to know if there was one church that even did that. I doubt there was. I doubt it. I think one praying church would have absolutely eliminated this from even happening on those on those shores. That's my opinion. Okay, but I, I think I mean I, I know the power of one Christian praying can move mountains essentially. So I, I just don't think there was any prayer or, or fasting going up about this stuff. Because look at the change in attitude all of a sudden. I mean, what what was what was behind that? God. <laughs> I don't think so. So the Bible says in 1 Samuel 15, 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Okay? Witchcraft is a sin. There's no, there's no common, there's no dialogue that, you're gonna, that a Christian should have with a witch in order to, to meet some type of common ground. There is no common ground between a Christian and a witch. There's none. There's no agreement. That you should have with them. Satan's always will always try to get you to agree with evil. Wicked people will try to get you to agree with them. So a common tactic of wicked people get you to agree with them. And here we have all of them, or or collectively, them coming and saying, Okay, well, we'll we'll let you do this, and we're not going to give you any problem. Huh? You let Satan have his way. You did not resist evil. You did not expose the evil. You did not pray and fast against the evil. So, Satan ended up having his way. The Bible says in, in second, um, uh, I believe Chronicles 33, 1, Now Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned fifty and five years in Jerusalem, but did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen, Okay, so he did that was evil, like the abominations of the heathen. Or a pagan. Okay, same deal. Who the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he built again the high places, which Hezekiah his father had broken down. The um, high places would be in the highest parts of either the city in or mountainous regions outside. Pagans do the same thing today. The mountainous regions here in North Carolina are full of these things. I went, the other day, we went into the um, interior of uh, the mountains in North Carolina. And almost by accident, I, I found this restaurant, and um, uh, Taylor and I went there, and we go, we go into this place, and it's like, you it had a really weird vibe. And I mean, you could just tell, you could just tell that there was a lot of very new age, most likely witchcraft stuff, really going on there. You could sense it from the people. Taylor's really good about picking up on that stuff, anyway. And I mean, it was just like it was all around you up there. And again, it was it was a it didn't surprise me, but it was in a high place. And occultists will gravitate toward these high places because they believe they can communicate with their gods better. So I'm telling you, there's a lot of truth to that. Anyway, he built again the high places which Hezekiah's father had broken down, and he re- and, and I don't think they liked the fact that we prayed over our food either, or the fact that I left them a track. Um, I don't think they liked us very much. I really could care less.
1: <laughs> but
0: we were already in there, and I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> let's, uh, let's I, I didn't really realize until we got in there, it was like, oh man, I'm getting a weird vibe about this place, you know? But anyway, um, so going further there, for he built again the high places which Hezekiah's father had broken down. He reared up altars for Balaam and made groves and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. Which is exactly what these pagans are doing on the, on the shores of Lake Okeechobee. And, he, and um, he caused his children to pass through the fire. So he was engaging in child sacrifice of his own children. Okay, He was killing his own children by throwing them into the fire. This is how evil Manasseh was. Okay, And um, the Valley of Fire and the Valley of the Sun of Hinnom. He also observed times. What would that be? Well, summer solstice. One of the main pagan holidays. Beltane. May 1st. Another incredibly high satanic. Um, You've got Yule or you've got the winter solstice which has a lot to do with Xmas or Christmas which is the birth date of the sun god Tammuz not the son of God of the Bible. Okay, that was all been paganized and given to us by the Catholic Church. Then you have Halloween. Essentially, um... October 31st, which they view as the birth date of Satan. Uh, you got all of these pagan holidays. That's observing times. Okay, and then it says, and they observed times, and used enchantments, which is witchcraft, and used witchcraft, and dealt with familiar spirits, these are devils, and with wizards, and he wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. This is what witchcraft does in God's eyes. It provokes him to anger. And if you have a, a, a area or a nation where witchcraft is it's been given over to witchcraft and they're out openly doing this stuff in public, it's going to promote God anger. Now um well hold on let me let me just finish this and then I'll get into what I was going to say. In a phone interview, festival organizer Bruce Mullins told in the New Times, the event has already sold 400 advance tickets, and he expects as many as 1,000 pagans. That's 1,000 witches, wizards, warlocks, whatever you want to call them, and pagan sympathizers to attend, making it probably the largest pagan gathering in Florida's history. The largest pagan gathering in Florida's history. The pagan web chatter tagged it as the pagan Woodstock. He goes on to say, call it New Age if you like, Mullins told us, it's people of like minds coming together with an eclectic belief system, all rising as one to a higher level. No, descending to even e- more evil level. Eclectic is putting it mildly. The fest includes classes and workshops in everything from yoga, we just talked about yoga, and belly dancing which is also evil, to pagan Wiccan songs and chants, rune mythology, whenever you see runes, that's evil, and um, rune mythology and history, Native American stone healing, hay hay bale gardening, uh, introduction to Celtic reconstructionist paganism, the Celts have, have everything to do with Halloween, where we get that evil tradition from, and if you you listen to my teaching on it, you'll see that. And a workshop on protection magic. This is how to use uh, witchcraft to protect you. Okay. If some of those things suggest the Pah- Pahokee Christians fear, if some of those things suggest the Pahokee Christians fear had some substance, Mullen says um, this is horse crap and. Hollywood hype. In other words, anything the the, the Pahokee Christians would fear from this, this pagan would be nothing more than horse manure and Hollywood hype. In other words, it doesn't have any merit. Oh, wow, way to really, really refute everything. Which he didn't do, but, you know, you would expect that from somebody trying to defend their position. Satanism, he, he goes on to say, Satanism is a worship of the material world and the flesh. Uh, well, partly, but it's a whole lot more than that. Anyway, And then he he told us, and that lowers you, meaning Satanism would lower you. We're here to celebrate freedom of self, like do what thou will be be the whole of the law, like Aleister Crowley did, yeah, same thing, Uh, and the balance of the masculine and the feminine, which would be the whole yin-yang garbage, Um, and our stewardship of Earth, because all these people are mega, mega tree-huggers, and they worship Mother Gaia, and view Mother Gaia, or planet Earth, as being grieved because we're doing all these things to grieve her by our very presence. Stewardship of the young too, meaning these, these pagan witches need to have good stewardship of their own young. God help them. Uh, and teens also. And, and they're gonna have their midnight fire festivals are chaperoned by Lady Nakoma Hawk. So in other words, their teens and their young people are gonna be are gonna be very well protected by all of their pagan witches that are there to supervise and chaperone these, these poor little, uh, Budding pagans that they're going to defile. Um, also, they had kid care at the Sprite Circle, Sprite being like a fairy, which is a double impish like creature. The Sprite Circle Sanctuaries, where all the little kids are going to be overseen by Mama Gina. Okay? This is all an abomination and a stench in God's nostrils. This is. Pure witchcraft and evil on a mass scale. Largest pagan gathering the state of Florida has ever seen. And guess where it's at? In Pahokee, on the shores of Lake Okeechobee. I'm going to get into that in a second. It wouldn't be a Woodstock without any music. And in addition to drum circles, lots and lots of drum circles, and an oral apothecary, meaning... Um, the aura, which they were probably doing curly in photography of the people there, and then you have somebody read your aura, and then they say, okay, you need this. So it's like, I don't know exactly what kind of apothecary they're talking about here, but something that's going to improve your aura. Okay, And then um, it goes into, which stocks cures for whatever ever ails you. And then also light shows and shadow dancing, plus karaoke by the pool and the tiki bar. I went up to the website, and I looked at the stuff that they were doing, and it was so much witchcraft and so much stuff, I couldn't even list it all. Okay, it, it, it's, This is really, really, really bad out-in-the-open witchcraft that they're doing here. So unless some joker casts a spell, plain old common sense has prevailed in Pahokee. Oh, thank you, Satan, for telling me what plain old common sense prevailing means. And then it says, the locals realizing that the pagans are harmless if not a bit weird, oh yeah, exactly what Satan wants you to think, that that pagans and evil and the devil and Satan is just harmless, good, clean fun, and they're just like a religion just like any other, and then it goes on to say, in a modern day America where every other suburban kid is inked, pierced, and plugged into a digital gizmo 24-7, which is all evil, and then it says while christian pastors try to webcast the burning of other faith holy books like the guy up in i think jacksonville that burned the qurans or whatever so they've got to, they've got to get their hit in on on the christians that would do this kind of stuff he goes on to say it's hard to say who really the weird ones are. All of these articles were written with a very sympathetic tone toward the pagans, which makes me think probably the editors, whoever was doing this, may themselves be pagans or part of the, or, or part of that whole thing. So, started researching this and first annual Lake Okeechobee Summer Solstice Festival at the Lake Okeechobee Resort. Now I, I keyed that in and I'm like. What is the Lake Okeechobee Resort? Because this was saying, this was literally on the shores of Lake Okeechobee. Now, if you've listened to my teaching, my testimony, and my supernatural experiences, and I give you a link here, I get heavily into my experiences with Lake Okeechobee. And I'm not going to rehash all that stuff here. But let me tell you something. Um, Something going on down there. Something going on that God will not let me forget. That, I mean, it, it's something that I think started hundreds of years ago as far as defiling the land. Remember what we just talked about? Where it talks about when, and if we're going to get into that in a little bit, where the homosexuals and the people that practice wicked things that literally that defiles the land and that the land will eventually spew her inhabitants out that do such things. And particularly child sacrifice and homosexual behavior, probably right at the top of the list. Look what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. Um, And there's all these warnings, particularly in the old Testament about these types of behaviors. Now you have pagans, the largest pagan gathering ever. Where do they choose to go? To the shores of Lake Okeechobee, particularly near Pahokee, which is the very, very southern end, uh, southern, if you're looking at it on a map, southwestern end of Lake Okeechobee. I I believe that they chose that area for an exact reason. Um, (laughs) Oh man, I could probably turn this into a really long teaching if I wanted to. I get into into my experiences I've had in Lake Okeechobee in this link. I would encourage you if you've never heard it. A lot of it gets into my testimony and my supernatural experiences. And my, what it caused me to do is research Lake Okeechobee. And um, suffice it to say, I'll just tell you a little bit. I had a dream uh, when I was in the Pentecostal church. And this was essentially—I I don't want to give too much away—but in the dream, I was on an island in Lake Okeechobee, okay. And I had never been to Lake Okeechobee, even though I lived in Southwest Florida my whole life. I've never really ever been there. It's got a huge, gigantic—it's called the Her- Herbert Hoover Dike. It goes all the way around the lake. It's the—it's the second largest freshwater lake in America, okay. Uh, big time destination for bass, fishermen, and these types of things. It's also a very polluted lake from the sugar industry. And um, I didn't even know if there was things as islands on Lake Okeechobee. But in my dream, I was on an island. And this is when I was in the Pentecostal church, when this dream happened. I'm going I'm, I'm to relate this, all of this in a second. This is where it all started for me, with my looking at Lake Okeechobee. And in the dream, I'm on the island... And I get to this island by boat. Okay? I get on the island, and all the people on the island seem to be really nice and friendly and um, um, nice. But I've noticed, and I was the only one, I was there by myself on this island with, with these people. But in my dream, I started noticing as the sun started going down, their, count, their countenance started changing. And they were becoming more and more evil-looking I was just getting a very evil vibe the more the sun started to go down. And in my dream, I knew that I needed to get off this island or they were going to all kill me. They were going to gang-jump me and and I was probably going to be what's for dinner okay, that night. Human sacrifice, bare minimum. I knew this in the dream. And so, I remember the dream, I walk out, I, I get to the dock and they're all following me. And I get in the boat, and I shove off the dock, and just as I'm shoving off the dock, the sun's literally just going down, and as I'm shoving off the dock, I look back up, and all of them basically start to appear what they really are, and in my dream, they were all, literally, it was like some kind of gigantic vampiric witchcraft cult, literally, I could see fangs coming out, and it was like there were big, gigantic islands of vampiric, Witchcraft, evil, evil, evil people. And I realized in the dream that I had just escaped by the skin of my teeth, which is actually a biblical term. Um, You can do a keyword search for it. Uh, By the skin of my teeth from certain death. Okay, in my dream, I knew that. On some island in Lake Okeechobee. Didn't even know if Lake Okeechobee even had islands. Then, instantly, I wake up And I'm laying on my right side, facing toward the window. Um, I was at my parents' house at the time. I was taking, I believe it was on the weekend, I think I was taking a nap or something. I wake up. But my eyes are closed, but it was really weird. I could see the whole room around me. It was really weird. It was like seeing through your mind's eye. And at the end of the bed was about a seven foot cone of darkness. And I knew that that thing was pure evil, and that it was there to kill me. I just knew it, okay. And at that point, I realized that I mean, this is like the most intense thing that's ever happened to me in my whole life. When I'm talking, I'm telling you right now, okay? It's not like I have this stuff happening every day either. And in fact, I haven't happened anything like this happen in years. But well, that was the only time it ever happened. But There's a seven foot cone of darkness at the foot of my bed. I knew it was there to kill me. I knew that was, it was there for that express purpose. And I realized at that point I could not move. I was laying on my right side facing toward this window in a bed. Could not move. I could not open my eyes. I was paralyzed totally from head to toe and I could not breathe either. Couldn't even breathe. Now you can't, you can go little ways without water and without food, but you can't go too long without air. And I realized it was using this paralyzation to try to kill me. So you don't, I mean, you don't breathe long enough, you die. Okay, I knew, I knew that was the case. I also felt this unbelievable desire to actually get my eyes open, even though I could see this thing at the foot of my bed through my mind's eye. And I try and I try and I try. And it's like trying to lift a 500 pound stone off your body. Just try to open your eyes. It was the weirdest thing. It must be the, the sensation people get when, like, alien abduction and they can't move and stuff. Or um, this is just totally demonic. Okay, the devil likes to get you when you're your weakest, and what better time to get you than when you're sleeping? Okay, so I go. I'm trying so hard to get my eyes open, and end up finally getting my eyes open because I felt like something was literally on the bed with me. Okay, I get my eyes open and literally it's about a one and a half foot to two foot skeleton creature. Literally, I've got about two feet from me to the end of the bed and it's on there and it's coming toward me slowly. And he's literally got like armor on and swords in his hand. And it's a skeleton-like creature. And I knew that thing was there to kill me. And I'm looking at this thing and it's coming right toward me. Now this is about one of the only times I ever actually literally saw a devil with my own eyes. I mean, literally saw the thing. And I knew what I had to do at that point. There was no doubt. I said, all I got to do is get the, get the name of Jesus out of my mouth, and all this is going to go away. I knew it. I just knew it. And there's no doubt. Okay? But, remember, I'm paralyzed. I can't talk. I can't move. I can't even breathe. And these things are there to ensure that I don't do any of that because they knew that if I got that name out of my mouth, they were going to go bye-bye. Well, this thing's coming toward me. Okay, It's moving slowly toward me. He's he's waving the swords. He's coming toward me. He's there to kill me. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, and I'm trying so hard. I mean, again, it was like trying to lift a 500-pound stone off you. And finally, just as he's getting ready to, to... kill me, plunge the old swords in me, I get out the word Jesus. And everything instantaneously disappears in the room. The black cone of darkness is gone, the little skeleton's gone, everything's gone. Okay? So I'm like, you know what? What is going on here? So I sought God, and I tried to find out what were the open doors in my life. Well, I was a Pentecostal. That didn't help. You know? This was like, right, I didn't, it wasn't too long after that. God showed me about the King James Bible. I was reading the wrong Bible. Um, I was reading a polluted word of God. I was, I was in the Pentecostal church. And there was so much garbage going on at the church I was at. I mean, it was really radical. And I was probably the most radical one of them all. Because I equated that with zeal. But it was misguided zeal. Anyway, I, I was pretty nutty. And um, as far as Pentecostals go, charismatics. And uh, so, I, you know, I had open doors from that standpoint, no doubt. Um but I was also in the church I was at which was the second largest it was like the second largest building in Cape Coral. Um second largest church. It was a, it was a big church. Uh Kingsway Christian Center, I believe. Yeah. And I was the one they they were literally had a problem with witches breaking in between the services and putting bones and ashes on the seats. Okay? Witchcraft. Now, I've always wanted to engage engage witches. Always. Always. From clear back then, I'm like, who are these... I mean, it's like David talking to Goliath. These, who are these uncircumcised Philistines that dare come into, you know, like the house of God, even though I wouldn't exactly consider the charismatic church a house of God, but, you know, that was my thinking at the time. So I organized a whole bunch of people in the church to literally pray... I mean, against this, then we would meet, and we would pray outside the church, we'd pray in the church, we would, you know, and I think we were really having an impact. And whoever it was, probably somebody in my group, because they always seek to infiltrate the groups, they had done a a death curse on me. And that's not the first time I've had death curses. You listen to that teaching on my testimony. It's a link there. It's going to be about on page 21 or 22. And I've had uh, one of the highest voodoo priests in all of South Florida try to kill me, and I think he was working with others too. That didn't work either. Um, so I've been through a lot of stuff with this, and I believe that's really my true true calling is dealing with that. Um, it, that would be my dream job. I told Taylor that the other day. I, I love this ministry, but I would what I'd really love to do is to come here every week and report back on the mighty things that God has done and all the people that got saved and to see the Lord Jesus Christ's name glorified and to see people get saved. Not me. This is not about me. I could care less about any glory, about any accolades, about any of that garbage, but I would love to see what God could do through me and other like-minded Christians in regard to literally, literally going out there and battling evil. And that's what it's coming to. It's coming to this. That's my dream job. And that's what I think I'm going to be doing After this ministry is either, you know, hey, the internet could go down any day, let's face it. (laughs) We're living on borrowed time as it is with all these kill switches they've got and stuff like that. Um, But maybe the Lord would provide me a way where I could report back on this stuff. That's what I really want to do. So, these guys... Um, a group of witches were doing this they must have had a a key to the place they were probably somebody one of the pastors or or somebody there which is very very common it's very very common that the easiest churches to infiltrate are the charismatic Pentecostal because these witches can go in there and speak in their devil tongues while everybody else is speaking mostly in their false tongues because you know (laughs) I think that most charismatics are deceived and um, I was there I know I was deceived and I was probably one of the most zealous ones and uh, I'm not saying they're all like bad people, I still have dear friends that are, that are, you know, kind of in that movement, and I've tried to like help them, but they just don't want to hear, they, 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 they so go off emotion, and it's such a thing that, you know, works on your heart, and your emotions, and these types of things, and, and, and so much of it's so extra-biblical, and you so start getting your eyes off of what the Word of God says for an experience that you're seeking, which is what the Catholics do. And this is why there's charismatic Catholics. I was holding a Bible study and I had a charismatic Catholic that was in there. And the, and the day that he left was the day I started telling, showing him obvious things about the Catholic Church. I never saw him again. He didn't want to hear it. But that's how the charismatic and the Catholics are going to unite, through lying signs and wonders and miracles. Signs and lying wonders and miracles. That Those types of things. So Anyway, so I'm... Uh, I'm doing this, and and we've been praying against this. And and um, these witches got wind of where I lived. I guess where I was staying at the time. So my parents, and um, basically, um, I ended up drawing their attention, and and they started to focus in on me. And here I had all kind of. Probably opened doors just from being in the charismatic church and these types of things, and I think we were making an impact against them. So what they had done, uh, God started showing me what had happened. Okay, first thing He showed me, as, as I asked God, "What was what was what caused this? What what let what the, let these devils into my room and almost kill me?" Well, first thing, I got this this urge to slide back the headboard. Bed that I was sleeping in, my parents. It was like the guest bedroom, and I slid back the headboard all the way, and I'd never done that before. And there was a black onyx, about four or five inches high, statue. Black onyx. It looked like an idol. Looked like something would come from like Hawaii, and it was like it had a double face and all this other stuff. And I'm like, oh I said I had a cursed object, literally within one to one and a half feet of my head while I was sleeping every night. It was. It was in the sliding headboard that I never slid back. And it was sitting there, and it was literally on the same side as I was sleeping on. And that was where this devil manifested. So that was the first thing. Obviously, then you have the charismatic stuff, you have the open doors there, I was reading the wrong Bible. The other thing, though, they had found out where I lived, and I kind of felt this conviction I needed to, to, to go outside. So I go outside and I look and there was a mulch bed where they have the mulch which is like the ground up wood. And they, these Satanists found out where I lived and they had literally taken, it was like a rat, I think, and they had literally pinned it against the ground in the mulch bed and sacrificed it. Right there. It was pinned to the ground. And I'm like, what? And then I also kept exploring, and there was about, uh, this I found out a th- two or three days later, there was this tremendous stench that started coming from uh, basically like our property. And I I um, looked, and this was catty corner to, I mean, both the, the rat and then what I found next were both, I was almost literally, my the bedroom where I was staying at was almost right in the middle of where these two sacrifices had taken place. They had found the cat from next door. His name was Socks. He was a really nice cat. And they had killed Socks and sacrificed him in the um, mulch bed. But it was, it was a mulch bed with um, like little shrubs growing around a tree. And then there was mulch and then there was shrubs. So there was an area between the tree and the shrubs where they had killed the cat. The cat was like only two or three years old. There's no reason he would have just normally died like right there and then started decomposing. So they had sacrificed at least two animals there. Who knows what other witchcraft things they did outside of that. And this, all these things led up to that, to where I had this experience in the bedroom and, and they tried to kill me. Okay. So I'm like, Okay. This is where I started keen in on Okeechobee. And then I started researching Okeechobee and found out there were islands in Lake Okeechobee. And since then, I found... I had another listener that said that when I told that story, a really... Uh, we're close. Uh, him and his wife and I... I mean, I, I, I've had a lot of... Uh, um, of um, very positive dealings with this listener. Okay? Listener of Virginia. And he told me that when... He heard my testimony on Okeechobee that he got chills because he had a very, very similar experience on an island in Lake Okeechobee when he was young, like back in like the 70s, the early 70s or whatever. And they were they were running a, uh, a boat across Okeechobee. You've got to be real careful where you go on that lake because it's extremely shallow. And they stopped at this island and he said when they went to explore the island he said, I've never ever ever felt a place that was more evil than that place. Ever. I've never been more creeped out. He said, I thought it felt like we had been watched from every angle. And they literally came upon a cemetery at one of these at, in this island when they were exploring. And guess what? Whoever was there had just dug up a body out of one of these? I'm assuming old graves, but I think he said it might have actually been a fresh grave. Now you you research the islands of Lake Okeechobee. You're not going to find anything about a cemetery. <laughs> this is like off the radar stuff here. And he said somebody had just dug up the body. The shovels were still there, and they had they were. I guess I don't know if maybe they hid when they when they heard them coming. And they said, I believe, if I'm getting the story right, that they got so scared when they saw this, because, I mean, we're talking grave robbery here, we're talking some really morbid stuff, we're talking they were more creeped out. He says, I've never, ever, ever been that scared or felt more evil in my life at any place on planet Earth than this island on Lake Okeechobee. And he said, we got so scared that we went, we ended up going the wrong way, and they got to the wrong end of the island. And, I mean, they thought, he says, i I've Pretty sure him and his sister, like they never, never felt ever more like they were going to die. They got off that island basically, sounding like just like I got off there, just barely escaping with their life. Okay, these islands aren't very much talked about because the Herbert Hoover Dike goes all the way around, and it isolates everything. Now, hence this thing here with this Lake Okeechobee uh, Summer Solstice Festival held at the Lake Okeechobee Resort. I'm like, what's that? Well, I research it, and it's this new resort. It's just went in since we left Florida, like in the past two or three years, and it's this gigantic campground literally on Lake Okeechobee. Now, you have to understand something. Because Lake Okeechobee has that huge Herbert Hoover dike around it It's like, 20, 25 feet high, it's very, very large, they do not allow building within the parameter of the lake, okay, because obviously if the lake ever rose, it would annihilate anything between the Herbert Hoover Dyke and the lake which is exactly the reason why they put it up in the first place, because you have the 19, I believe, 26 and the 1928 hurricanes that hit Lake Okeechobee before the Herbert Hoover Dike, and it killed a ton of people. And guess where they got all killed at? Mostly in Pahokee. Mostly in Pahokee. Some in Clewiston, some in um, Moorhaven, but mostly in Pahokee, and that Belle Glade area. Okay. So you've got a lot of deaths that have taken place there. You've got the first place that Lake Okeechobee's ever had where you're actually inside the perimeter of the Hoover, Herbert Hoover Dike, essentially, where you can actually stay right on the shoreline. Because it's, it's basically a big, gigantic RV. I think they have cabins at this place. It looks really nice online. It looks really nice. But you can literally stay there right on the lake I mean literally you could walk right in the lake and, and that's that's and I think this is why the pagans were like ah finally we have a place where we can literally stay and act like're we're, we're legit we're gonna have the biggest pagan summer solstice festival every anywhere and we're gonna do it right where we can do it here at Pahoki of course it was probably about their only choice but it was also very very near these islands because all of these major islands are in the southern part that I'm describing here You've got Torrey Island. You've got Creamer Island. You've got Hog Island. And I've done a ton of research. I've been there. I've drove on these islands. One of them you can actually reach by car because there's a little bridge there. I've drove in as far as I could drive. Um, My SUV, the one time I went there. Prayed. I've literally drove around Lake Okeechobee praying on more than one occasion. Then as I researched it, I realized why. Remember how the whole thing about the land being defiled? Okay, well, let me just read you a little bit about the history here that we're dealing with. Okay, I wasn't going to do this, but I kind of wanted to relate this to this because I, when I saw this pagan festival, I was like, "Wow, it's all really starting to even make more sense to me now." You know, this is um, the skulls of Lake Okeechobee. This is these are excerpts from books that um, I've been able to copy and paste. Online, for decades there have been reports of human skulls and bones being found in the shallows of Lake Okeechobee. Now, this is the southern part. This is where Pokey is. This is where, you know, that those islands are. Okay, and um, human skulls and bones being found in the shallows of Lake Okeechobee. Fishermen would tell tales of catching skulls in their nets. An earlier settler said he spotted so many skulls um, bobbing in low water; it looked like a pumpkin patch. Sur- a surveyor in the 1900s found more than 50 skulls covered in just a few inches of sand. It's basically a gigantic Indian burial ground. The whole southern part. Particularly from Pahokee in that area into those islands. Okay. Huge Indian burial ground. Um, all stories of human remains come from be- the area between Creamer Island and Observation Island. This is that area I'm describing. One tantalizing possibility is that the lake was once used as an Indian burial ground. Well, there's no doubt about that. It's been found all over Florida that American Indians used waterways and ponds as burial grounds. There's a place um, over near Melbourne in Florida where Indian bodies actually sank down in the sediment and were preserved. That has happened many places on planet Earth. Here's a chapter a chapter 4 of one of the books on Okeechobee called Northern Wanderings. Um, early in the century, the water in Lake Okeechobee was at a record low because new canals were drained in the shallow region for agricultural reasons. The shoreline receded to several hundred yards of very large, very large human skulls protruding from the muck bottom near some islands. Very large? Huh. Like giants? Oh, uh, they said they're very large. Uh, So you do the math. Nephilim? You know. Some early settlers of the lake were quoted as as describing the scenes as the skulls look like pumpkins in a field. Um, This was said by Mrs. Hovenkamp, the first white woman to live on Rita Island. In 1961, the Florida Agricultural Society uncovered 54 upright, long-bodied skeletons. Long-bodied on top of what appeared to be older burials of of a smaller-boned race of people with elongated skulls and receding foreheads. What? Elongated skulls? What, like those Peruvian skulls that they've discovered? These these things aren't human, what they've discovered. You've got long-bodied people, you've got abnormally large human-looking skulls, and now you've got small-race people with elongated skulls and receding foreheads. And these were all found in this, same, this, this very similar area where we're describing here. In the 1930s, the Smithsonian, the classic ones that cover up all of this information, wherever they discover giant skeletons, the, the Smithsonian will be on hand to make sure that that information disappears... And you will never hear from it again because they're they're one of the main ones that do that. They make sure there's no because we don't want to have any proof of the Bible, or it talks about in Genesis six, where you know the, fall, the the sons of God saw the daughters of men and they procreated with them and they and they uh, produced this race of giants, these men of old, these men of renown, like the Greek Greek myths. told about. We don't want to have any evidence of that. It would confirm the Bible. And also then you have the things like Goliath that were fought in the Bible and all these other giant races. The Anakim, the Anakims, and the Rephaims, and the Zazumans, and these types of things. All these things I've I've talked about in times past. We want to totally sanitize all archaeology so that there's no proof of that. So that we don't have any confirmation that the Bible is the word of God. So in the 1930s, the Smithsonian Institute es- excavated the Chosen Mound, which is one of the ma- many Indian burial grounds, and found, dis- and found distinct smaller bone skeletons with elongated heads. These things aren't human. In 1919, Connelly Nall, a surveyor farming on a, on a recently dried island in the lake, dug up 50 additional skeletons that were unusually large-boned. These were lost in the hurricane of 1926. That's one of the hurricanes I told you about that wreaked absolute total devastation on um, on the on the residents of Pahokee. And um, I think the 1928 was way worse, though. Even and then. 54 long bone skeletons uncovered on top of characteristic of the Calusa Indians of the Southwest Florida, which were known to be a very large race of American Indians. Ah, the Calusa Indians. Hmm. See, the, the town that I lived in in Fort Myers, we have the Hatchie River. All of this is named after the Calusa Indians. Calusa Indians, eh? Okay. We're going to talk about them a little bit more. And they were a very large race of American Indians? Yeah. Even Ponce de Leon said that. They were a very large race. So from the, Everglades, from, the, from the book, which is one of the most famous books, probably the most definitive famous book about the Everglades, this book, uh, Everglades, River of Grass, by Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, on page 236, I got this quote out of the book. It said, quote, On this coast, where every old-timer tells stories of a vanished, giant race and where men claim still to have been seen dug up enormous thigh bones and jaw bones twice as big as their own. It was common knowledge to the old timers, but the old Smithsonian would come in and just snap up any type of thing that would uh, prove this type of thing. Here is an um, article that ran Boyer Archaeology Survey of Lake Okeechobee. The preliminary finding of Boyer Archaeology Survey of Lake Okeechobee. Um, And I'm just going to skip to... It said, at Creamer Island, particularly noteworthy is an abundance of shell ornaments, hammers, azids, and kelts. While on Reed Island, the site contained limited shell tools, but considerable amount of human bone fragments. I've got pictures, I think they're in this article, in, in this PDF of of a guy that went there. And I mean, there's bone fragments all over this island. Human bones. We're talking a one of the biggest Indian burial grounds in America. The site of, you know, Nephilim, large, usually large Indians, Indians with elongated skulls. We're talking... These people weren't human. We're talking about you want to defile the land maximally, and you know what? That kind of stuff lingers. It just doesn't go away, unless there's you know a lot of of Christians taking action, praying and fasting regarding that that type of thing. I believe that that God can remove you know curses off these things, but I don't think that's ever taken place at any kind of large scale down there. Here is a um, 1928. Mutt family story of the 1928 hurricane. And it gets into um, a little bit more on this. I'm not going to read all of this because it's just too much to deal with. Here's an article from the Associated Press, June 4, 2007. Drought reveals human bones and other finds at the bottom of Lake Okeechobee, which is an extremely shallow lake anyway. A Florida drought that exposed parts of Lake Okeechobee bottom has been a boon to archaeologists exposing human remains boats, and other finds that could date back to hundreds of years. Um, It goes on to say, uh, Davenport said in an examination of the style of pottery found on the lake bed might tell more about the tribes who live in the area than the bones themselves because the human remains um, are so fragmented at this point. And there's story after story after story here. Okay, of, of documentation that I've put together over the years. Um, here is a visit to Rita Island in Lake Okeechobee. This is from August of 2008. Rita Island, um, which is one of the pla- last places that these old custard apple and moon vines actually grow. They actually were very, very prevalent before um, we uh, man came in and destroyed it. And this is one of the, the islands where it still goes. Now, this is a guy... He was a judge, Judge Nelson Bailey and George Boots Boyer. They and they go to this island, this Reed Island. And um, he takes all these pictures, Judge and Mrs. Bailey, inside the ancient last-standing custard apple forest on Reed Island. I give you the pictures here. Talk about creepy. <laughs> this Reed Island, I mean, it don't get much creepier than this. And here he's got pictures of human bone fragments. Pottery shards and human bones on Reed Island literally thousands of years old. It's all over the place. So not only is it in the water, it's on the islands. There's there's human bone fragments everywhere. And you've got elongated skulls. You've got abnormally large human skulls being found. You've got this unbelievable attraction of witchcraft to the same exact area. You've got the the dreams that I've had. Um, You've got all these things. And then you know 100% that the Calusa Island... The Calusa Indians, this was part of their territory. Now, the Calusa Indians is an important tribe in Florida, formerly holding the southwest coast from about Tampa Bay to Cape Sable, which is like below Naples, and the Cape of Florida, together with all outlying keys extending inland to Lake Okeechobee. So they had a triangular shape um, area of place that they governed, land that they governed. Lake Okeechobee to Cape Sable, which was below Naples, all the way up to Tampa. It's like a triangle. It's where they ruled from. And um, they seem, it says they seem to have practiced human sacrifice of captives upon a wholesale scale. These people were killing people. I'm talking, I mean, if you got captured, I mean, like, Ponce de Leon and these guys all knew this stuff. In fact, Ponce de Leon died from a um, a poison uh, Indian arrow Um. That he on the wound that he got the second time that he visited, um, the uh, it was where I lived essentially. the the Pine Island area. He went to Cuba and died there from this uh, from this injury he sustained from the Calusa Indians. They every time that their ship got close to this area, they were instantly attacked by these Calusa Indians, and if they captured you, you were dead it was just a matter of time, you're going to be human sacrifice. Okay? I mean, these guys were, were really, really, really barbaric, okay? They seemed to have practiced human sacrifice of captives upon a wholesale scale. We're talking they would kill huh, as many as they could kill. They scalped and dismembered their slain enemies, and they have been repeatedly accused of being cannibals, okay? So, plus they walked around naked. So you got every single type of evil pagan activity described by the Calusa Indians, and they were the dominant, absolute total dominant Indian race in all the state of Florida. They were feared by all the other tribes so much that all the other tribes paid them tribute. Okay? I mean, human sacrifice, cannibalism, walk around naked, kill anybody that even get near them. We're talking demon-possessed to the toenails, and they were almost always nearly naked. says this in there, too. Uh, History began in 1513 when a fleet of 80 canoes, they boldly attacked Ponce de Leon, who was about to land on their coast. And after an all-day fight compelled them to withdraw, even at this early date, they were already noted among the tribe for the golden wealth which they had accumulated from numerous Spanish shipwrecks cast away upon the quay um, in the passage of the south. And two centuries later, they were regarded as veritable pirates plundering and killing without mercy the crews of all vessels. These dudes were demon-possessed with the toenails, and they made no apologies for it. So again, this type of stuff defiles the land. It brings a curse on the land. And here, I believe, as their one of their main Indian burial grounds was the whole southern portion of Lake Okeechobee and the islands included. Okay, um, so here Lake Okeechobee is used as a backdrop in the X Files episode Conduit. It is supposedly a hotspot for also UFOs, and in the X Files episode, Mulder is surprised that Scully had never heard of it in a campsite by the shore of Lake Okeechobee. Um, so, anyway, that's, uh, no, I think, yeah, okay, okay, they're they're kind of trying to describe that episode. So, here I give you a picture of Lake Okeechobee, um, and more, more information about this. Now, the Calusa Heritage Trail is also, um, has a lot to do with these Calusa Indians. Now, I've went there... Personally, prayed, uh, just, I did a lot of praying at this place, okay? This place was really, really um, heavy duty. And it was funny because a good pastor friend of mine, literally across the street from this, had, I believe it was the American Bible College. It was like the oldest correspondence Bible college in America. He showed me, I went in there one time, he showed me like a, Jack Van Empe, when he actually lived in the Fort Myers area, he he got uh, got his diploma from there. He showed it to me, the original. It was funny, but he literally was right across the way from there, and he had this whole thing in his ministry where he had all of these Calusa Indian artifacts, and so much of it was pagan. And I said, Pastor, I said, you really, really, really need to get rid of all this garbage you're bringing a curse on this ministry and on yourself. Eh, he didn't really believe me but Baptists aren't really in that mindset very much. But I loved him enough to tell him the truth. Love the man, always will. Him and his wife both. Wonderful people. Um, but anyway, the, this is a whole report on this um, Calusa Indian um, uh, let me see here archaeological analysis, uncovering the past of South Florida, Lee County was the epicenter of the Colusa Indian Nation. Um, and it's saying, while Jesus walked the earth half a world away. Yeah, Might have been, I don't know, maybe it was the same time Jesus was here. Um, this is the Smith Burial Mound along the Colusa Heritage Trail, and uh, again, I, I went to this place many, many, many a time to pray, and to, um, uh, <laughs> it was about as uh, New Age, they're, they're saying that um, the public, Florida Public Archaeology Network, and my trail guide says a lot of people have said this site is haunted. One woman said she felt a very strong vibe here. Um, we're talking huge mounds. We're talking, this was like, I believe they're going to say, or like the Washington, D.C. of the Calusa Indians. This is where Ponce de Leon essentially got attacked. Okay, This is where they ruled and reigned from. And again, all the way to Lake Okeechobee, up to Tampa, down to Cape Sable. So, um, uh, going further, I'm just kind of reading what is what they're saying here. Um, I give you the whole article here, but she said. Over time, archaeologists concluded the site was a major center for Calusa Native Indians. Mound Key, located in the Estero Bay, is thought to have been the capital of Calusa, once the most powerful people in South Florida. Mound Key would have been like a Washington, D.C., and this would be like New York, um, this area for them, Sweeney said. Uh, And so this was really, um, they said they had a standing army ready to dispatch when needed, these Calusa Indians, and they were able to hold off the Spanish who Southall said were never, never able to defeat the Calusa Indians. But by the 1700s, the Calusa had succumbed to the disease that the white man brought and forced slavery imposed by other tribes with firearms. So that's how they ended up getting taken out, was through the diseases. Now, and then you also have the, this exact same area being an absolute hotbed for New Agers. I mean, I was really, really happy to get out of there because it's an extremely New Age area. Okay, And here you have... Sacred Sites of Southwest Florida, an article that was reprinted by the Naples Daily News where they get into energy areas, stargates, portals to other dimensions. And, I mean, this gets into more confirmation that that area is very much um, uh, an absolute hotbed for occult activity and for New Agers to go there and to do what they're going to do. Here's a witch that was having a uh, metaphysical workshop and stuff. And, um, I can't get into all this stuff. I wasn't even gonna get into any of this today, but I said all that to just kind of confirm this whole thing with Lake Okeechobee and these pagans being drawn there to have the summer solstice festival and they say that they're gonna they're gonna do this every year now and uh you know the spiritual implications of all of that it's it's just it's a it's a, I'm telling you that area some Really, really heavy-duty stuff that's went on in the past. The land has been cursed and defiled. And um, this is why these pagans are so drawn to that area and why they're, I believe, so happy that they were actually able to have this largest pagan festival ever, in the exact same area that I'm highlighting and outlining here. And If you want to know more about my experiences with this, of course I told you most of my stuff with Okeechobee, but you can click on this link. So I'm way over for this part, so I'm going to go ahead and end part uh, three, and we'll go to part four next.